if you know me, uh, you may be wondering where I've been, and if you've been around, maybe you heard the announcement or whatever that I'm over long, 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 long ways away from here uh, in the mission field in Mango. Uh, it's about three miles. Uh, we saved lots of money for me to be able to make that commute on a regular basis, but I've been there for about two and a half months, and I'm just telling you, I'm having tons and tons of fun. I think they have a picture we're going to show you. Um, up on the screen, I want to introduce you to, these are the trustees of the First Baptist Church of Mango that prayed for a long time that God would send a church to help them so that they didn't have to be a statistic and close their doors like so many people. We have Juanita here on the left, and then Lloyd, and then Colleen, and Sharon, and Lewis, and Jackie, and I've just got to share with you, they are so tickled that a church like Baylife would partner with them. And say, hey, we don't want you to close your doors, but we're going to partner with you so that God can continue to do a work there. It's interesting that as we're talking through the book of Acts, a missionary journey, and we're a mission-minded church, and we send people out um, all over the world, locally, domestically, internationally. But here's what I want you to be thinking about and praying about. We need some missionaries three miles away from here. Not to fill a room but to fill some places to care for some kids, to serve at a door and greet some people as they come in, to provide some security so that our families feel safe and dropping their kids off while they're being ministered to while the parents are in church. It's like, hey, I'm two-timing on Bay Life. Here's the deal. I don't know if Mark told you this or not. Listen, we're one church in two different locations. And if that would be your heart, I would ask for you to pray about that as well if you're considering service opportunities. There's service opportunities over there, we'd love to have you join us in what God's doing there. And, and here's the bottom line. We rock the organ out. I'm serious. It's awesome. I mean, if you love the hymns, no kidding. I'm, this is not a joke. It's, 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 it's worshipful. It's great. It's wonderful. It's different, but it's great. Moving right along. Um, we're in Acts chapter 15, picking up in verse 36 today. We've been talking through the last several weeks Paul's missionary journey, uh, he was in Antioch, Assyria. He went on this great journey to Cyprus and then up through, um, you know, northern regions beyond that, uh, up in the Turkey area, and then came back around, and God did miraculous things. And Paul and Barnabas were set apart, it says in Acts 13, 2 and 3, that while they were worshiping, this is in Antioch of Syria, the Lord, they, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they were commissioned not because Paul had a great idea. They were commissioned because the Holy Spirit said, set these men apart. I've got some work for them to do. And then Paul and Barnabas traveled. It was approximately two years, give or take 100 or 200 miles, approximately 1,400 miles. During that time, they experienced great trials. They experienced huge triumphs, and they experienced severe persecution. However, God gave them the courage and strength to complete what he had called them to do. Do you believe that God will give you the strength and the courage to complete what God has called you to do? Some of us believe that maybe more so than others, but here I'm here to tell you today that if God's called you to something, he's going to give you the strength and the courage to do it. That doesn't mean we don't stay on our knees and continually go before him and asking him to continue to give us that strength and continue to give us that courage. But the interesting thing about this journey up until this point was they did everything together. Paul, Paul and Barnabas, they experienced so much. 
They experienced spiritual warfare. They, they encountered this magician who, who worked under, uh, you know, basically demonic powers. His name was Bar-Jesus. A nickname was like a son of a God or, or, or a son of Jesus. But he was far from that. They experienced great persecution. They experienced the stoning of Paul to the point that those who threw rocks at him thought he was dead. How's that for a missionary journey? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen in Mango or around here, so, I mean, it's okay. But even if it did, God's going to give us the strength to endure that. They combated false teaching. Once they got back to Antioch, there was people coming in sharing some things that just weren't true. But the key is, is they were united and they were together. But there's a shift about to happen if you've read ahead. Who's read ahead in here? Nobody's read ahead? Okay, a couple of you. Do you guys read your Bible? Okay, it's a good thing to read your Bible. Okay, all right. So since you haven't read ahead, you've got a whole lot to learn. I'm going to speak really fast this morning because I've got a lot of stuff to cover. So just promise me me that you're going to listen fast. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just another opportunity that we have to come into this place to worship you and to proclaim your truths, Lord. Um, I'm just a man, just like Paul was a man and Barnabas was a man. But Lord, I pray that you would use me today, dear Heavenly Father, not to speak, you know, what I think is wise, but speak your word, dear Heavenly Father, it's proven. And Lord, in our lives, there's so many distractions. I pray that the distractions could be removed here this morning, Lord, that we would hear what you'd want to speak into our lives. Certainly, we're going through a narrative about what you've done, Lord, but I believe that you're still at work today, and you still want to use us today for your kingdom. So lead us now in this text um, as we walk through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So jumping right in, Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, and this is what it says. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Scholars believe that the some days was about two years that they were back in Antioch. So after some period of time, Paul says, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now the wheels were already turning in Barnabas' head. Um, it was, it was um, something that was, was not opposed to, but... Paul felt the burden to go back because he had a fatherly affection for those people that he had shared Christ with. There were churches planted all over the regions where they had gone. And Paul was concerned for the health of the church and and, and how strong they were and if they were doing well. He was not satisfied for just making converts because if he was satisfied for just making converts, he made a lot of converts on that journey. And he could have just like, hey, converts were made, no big deal, Way way to go, move on. But Paul understand the importance of uh, discipleship and helping people not only to put their faith in Christ, but what it means to grow up in that relationship that they have with the Lord. You are converted in an instant. This is a truth that I want us to understand. Now, salvation comes in an inf- instant. You're converted in an instant. But the rest of your life is this process that we call sanctification. It's simply becoming more like Christ, hopefully each and every day and week by week and month by month and year by year. But if we're not doing anything, if all we're counting on in our life is the things that we're doing, I go to church on a regular basis, check. I trusted in Jesus 27 years ago, check. And you don't do anything to progress and to grow in your relationship with the Lord, that's that's not God's intent for you. That's not God's desire for your relationship in, in Him is we should be about growing in him, and that was important for Paul, and he wanted to be sure that these converts were growing in their relationship with the Lord. 
So the deal is, is when Paul proposed this journey, Barnabas had no objections, but his wheels were already turning in his head, thinking, who can, who can we take on this journey? In the next verse, uh, verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Now, if you've been paying attention, you remember that name, but here's a little bit of flashback, and we're going to go back to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read through some of these scriptures to kind of give you a better picture truly for who this man was. In Acts 12, Peter was in prison, and an angel of the Lord came to him and released him in the middle of the night and says, hey, put on your clothes, come with me. Doors started to open, they ran out of the city, and then the angel of the Lord disappeared and left him. And then it says that Peter went to a house. In Acts chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, when Peter came to himself, realizing that this wasn't a dream and this was really happening, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. He went to the house of a lady named Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So John Mark saw some miraculous things earlier on in his life. And then, if you remember, in Antioch of Syria, there was a prophet that came. His name was Agabus, and he foretold by the Spirit that there'd be a great famine over the whole land. So this Gentile church wanted to take up an offering and send it back to the brothers in Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas went on this journey. They went to Jerusalem, and they gave the offerings. And then in Acts 12, 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, when they had completed bringing the offering from the Antioch church, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So on the way back to Antioch, they bring this guy, John, named Mark. Acts 13, verse 4 and 5, and you heard this um, uh, some weeks ago. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit from Antioch and Syria, they, Barnabas and Saul, went down to Seleucia. This is where they were launching uh, on their missionary journey. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had, and they had John to assist them. Acts thirteen thirteen. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, in Cyprus, and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John was with them all along. Cyprus did all the ministry there. They sailed to uh, Perga in Pamphylia, and then John was like, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't give the details there. It doesn't say why John left. It says he returned to Jerusalem. Maybe he was missing his mama. I don't know. It doesn't say. We can come up with all kinds of reasons as to why there was some conflict there or why he left, but he, but he left. There's no details given, but it, the, the insinuation there is, is, is it, that it left Barnabas and Paul in a bind. John wasn't just carrying bags. He wasn't just running in the courier and going to get food and bringing it back. He was sharing in what they were doing. What were they doing? They were proclaiming the gospel. They were preaching the good news. He was in the trenches with Paul and Barnabas. So there was, a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a riff there. And it brings us to our next verse, verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take with them one. Now, Paul doesn't even say his name. There's like this disgust, almost. Paul thought best not to take with them one, which was John Mark, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone, had not gone with them to the work. There was no disagreement regarding the journey to revisit every city where they had gone. Barnabas thought that was a good idea. However, there was disagreement 
on who should go on the journey. Now, if you know anything about Barnabas, Barnabas's nickname was Son of Encouragement. Now, an encourager was like, yeah, I know, he left us, he kind of left us in a lurch or whatever, but I can encourage him along, he's going to do better this time. And Paul was more of a no-nonsense, you know, very driven individual, so Barnabas wanted him to go, Paul didn't want him to go, which leads us to verses 39 and 40. 39 and 40. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement? So that they separated from each other. Now listen, they've been through so much. And they disagree on who's going to go on the next journey and they separate. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So who was right, Barnabas or Paul? We don't have enough details around the story to make that judgment. But let me make some observations because we think oftentimes that if there's disagreement, there's got to be something wrong. Think about this for a second. Christians can disagree with each other and both can be right. Big gasp. What? You mean there's not a right and a wrong? Okay, I don't know the details of this. Perhaps there was a right and a wrong, but we don't know that. We just don't have all the details. Sometimes there may be things that aren't necessarily right or wrong. They are simply differences of opinion. Couples out here, married couples, do you always have to win the argument? Yes, she says. I'm not even going to look over here because I don't want to even see who that was. But I will just pause for a commercial that we have a counseling center here at Bay Life Church <laughs> to help you couples through that if you feel like you have to be right all the time. Here's the deal. There are differences of opinion. Paul and Barnabas were just men with different opinions. Second observation, disagreements are not necessarily a sin. They can be, they can be, but not always, and neither are they evidence of some sin on the part of those who differ. Third thing, disagreements can serve beneficial purposes. The result of this disagreement allowed two teams to go out instead of just one. Is that good? So what the work of one team could do now is two teams going in different directions. I don't see how you could see that as a bad thing. God was multiplying the work. God was multiplying the, the missions. And they were going out to encourage and to proclaim the gospel to the existing churches and to people still who had not heard the gospel. The fourth observation. God can work all things for his good. God can work all things for his good. A, a, a familiar passage of scripture, Romans 8, 28 um, we could, a lot of us quote it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's three questions that I want us to look at. Did Barnabas and Paul love God? There's no question about that, right? The next question, were they called to accomplish God's purposes? And then the third question, what then would be the results? 
What would the results be of that? They, they loved God, and they were called according to God's purposes. What would the results be? They would be good. Now, the good in that verse, a lot of times we like to make that verse to be what we want it to be, and you know, we're going to do everything you know, because we love God and God loves us. But the for good in that verse does not always mean comfortable. It does not always mean comfortable, but here is what it means. It means that it will be fruitful for the kingdom. And sometimes the fruitful for the kingdom causes pain in our lives. And we don't want to wrap our minds around that, but the good in that verse is it's going to be fruitful for the kingdom. Perhaps John Mark needed some one-on time with who? The encourager. Maybe he needed some one-on-one time so that he could fully develop to be all that God intended for him to be. Maybe John Mark would grow quicker, not being with Paul and depending on Paul's leadership, and it would help him to sprout his wings a little bit and, and, and kind of, you know, swim. I've been around, you know, our culture and church culture, you know, all my life. Not this culture all my life, but church culture all my life. And oftentimes when, when, when you're asked to lead a life group or to consider leading, you know, back in my younger days, a Sunday school class or to even lead a prayer, you know, you're always, um, you've got this thing going on in your mind about um, comparison that you, you can't do it like they can do it. The best way for you to grow in leading and praying and whatever it is for the kingdom is to do it. Sometimes God pushes you into the deep end on purpose. Because you learn how to swim. And when you do that, you get not self-confidence, but God-confidence that he is working in your life, through your life, for, for his good. And maybe that's what was happening here. But equally, on the other side of it, perhaps Silas was the best fit for Paul on that next leg of his missionary journey. So the disagreement there wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It seems like it, it worked out good. Barnabas went one way with Mark. They went to Cyprus where the first journey had begun. And then, and then Paul and Silas went north, and, and they trekked around the northern territory and connected up with some of the areas that they had last been to on the f- first missionary journey. But then we pick it up in 15 verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, the commended by the brothers was basically what happened to Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. It was a a prayer of blessing. It was a commissioning, sending them forth. It's not that the church perhaps didn't want to do that for Barnabas and, and John Mark, but perhaps they had just already left. They didn't want to cause any more confusion or, or, or division. But it says they were commended um, by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So Luke records in Acts 15.22 that Silas, this, so you're wondering who this Silas what guy was, was a part of the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the two leading men, the other was Judas called Barsabbas, who were selected to take the letter of the, of the Jerusalem Council's decision to Antioch. So if you were here last week, you learned about the Jerusalem Council's decision. So they were one of the two guys, the upstanding gentlemen in Jerusalem, to take this letter along with Paul, Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch in Syria to proclaim what had been decided at the Jerusalem Council. So it brings us to verse 41. And he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, so 
what it doesn't say is interesting. It didn't say that Paul, you know, he got his feelings hurt and he went to counseling for six months because he just couldn't get over this breakup with Barnabas. Um, it didn't say that, right? So he got right to work to what God had called him to do. And Barnabas did the same thing. He went right to work to what God had called him to do. In spite of the disagreements, Paul and Barnabas, with Paul and Barnabas, God continued to use them both to strengthen the churches. God's mission continued. So in the passages that we read, just read, who is the hero? Is, is Paul the hero? Is, is Barnabas the hero? Listen, God is the hero because God's work continued to go forth. And, and just to encourage you, God's work continues to go forth today for those of us who are willing to be used by him. God is the hero of this passage through disagreement, God continues to encourage and build his church. Now later, just fast forward real quick, I just want to read a couple of passages that helps you to understand that, that Paul and, and Mark's relationship came back around. First of all, there's a slide here, Colossians 4, 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, yes, the Mark, he's also, we learn, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, not Jesus Christ, but another Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So the relationship came back around. Whatever had happened, they had gotten over it. The timing of this passage was at the end of Acts. Paul is in jail in Rome where he writes the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, what we just read, Colossians, and Philemon. So from Acts 15 to the end of the book of Acts, Paul's attitude towards John Mark changed drastically. Another passage, 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 11. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. It's the same Mark. Paul saying, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to, to me for ministry. So the relationship comes back around. Clearly, Mark has by now demonstrated his effectiveness in ministry. So whatever happened in Acts 13, whatever it was, we don't know because the details aren't there. Whatever happened was recoverable. It was recoverable. Have you ever done something that was regrettable? Do you ever wonder if you can ever recover from that? With God's help, you can recover from that. Whatever that is hanging over your head, it might be more than one thing. But with God's help, you can recover from that. Give that to the Lord. Pin it to the cross. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. With God's help, you can recover from that. It's important to know that John Mark deserted the missionaries back in Acts 13. This is important. It's important to note that John Mark deserted the missionaries in Acts 13, but he didn't desert the Messiah. The key in all of this is don't desert the Messiah. Don't desert the Messiah. John Mark goes on to write the second gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, that's his writings. He's a big player in the kingdom. The next slide is Acts 16.1, moving on. 
Paul also, or Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman. We know her name was Eunice from 2 Timothy 1 and 5, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, Timothy was most likely saved when Paul and Barnabas first visited um, Lystra on their first missionary journey. And if he was there, and if that's when he put his faith in Christ, he saw the persecution that Paul had went through. I mean, after all, it was Lystra where Paul was stoned. I mean, they thought he was dead. So Timothy would have been an eyewitness to what had happened, or at least heard, you know, at first account what had happened to Paul. But it says in that verse that we just read that Timothy was a disciple not just a believer, he was a disciple in, in, in Jesus. He was an ever learner. He was teachable. He was moldable. He applied himself to becoming more like Jesus and knowing what he needed to know and learn what he needed to learn. And he wasn't scared off by any of the persecution because he knew that potentially even for himself, that was part of the deal. He leaned into that. Verse 2 says he was well spoken of by the brothers, the believers at Lystra and Iconium. So, so as I said, Lystra was where Paul was stoned and left for dead. Timothy clearly knew what was at stake for his belief, but he believed anyway. The question is, is at, if Acts 16.2 was written about you, it says in Acts 16.2 about Timothy that he was well spoken of. But if it was written about you today, what would other brothers in Christ have to say about you? What would the details in that verse be about you? Would you be well spoken of? Brings us to verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. I thought we covered this last week. It's like, what just happened? He, he, he circumcised Timothy? So if you go all the way back to um, Acts chapter 15, and we're going to read that, Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, this is, this is a flashback, so some men came to Antioch and Syria, and they started doing this, but some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So from here is where Paul and Barnabas, some other men, they go up to Jerusalem. When they, you hear go up, it's actually south, but it's up in elevation, so they're going up to Jerusalem. Um, they have this meeting with like the big players there. Uh, the Pharisees get a first chance to speak, and they say, yes, they need to be circumcised. And then Peter says, oh, slow down a little bit. Um, I want to remind you that when I went to Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and all who were with him, they put their faith in Christ without any need for anything else to be done. And then Paul and Barnabas spoke up about their missionary journey, and they talked about all the places that they had went and how people had come to know Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, and signs and wonders were taking place without any external surgery having to take place. And then it comes to James, and James shows how he could appeal to more than one Old Testament text to show the Gentiles inclusion by faith alone. 
It was God's plan all along. That's what James was saying. So it brings us to James and his words in Acts 15, 19 through 21. Therefore, my James is speaking, judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Verse 21. I'll read it right here. Verse 21. And from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaimed him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. So, so there was a decision made. You don't have to preach circumcision in order for people to be saved. So they send this letter back up to Antioch proclaiming these things. So the Jerusalem council recognized that through Jesus, salvation came through faith alone in Christ. So what's the deal with this Paul circumcising Timothy thing? It's like, didn't he, he was there, he brought the letter, I mean, he was part of the Jerusalem council. Here's the truth around that. Paul circumcised Timothy not because it was needed for salvation, but because he didn't want to waste time arguing about non-essential matters to Jews with whom he indeed would encounter moving forward. Now, I grew up in the church, and, you know, Paul Harvey, is that Paul Harvey? No, that's somebody else. Inquiring minds want to know? What is that? Who is that? Paul Harvey, now you know the rest of the story. Anyway, sidebar, squirrel. Um, (laughs) Growing up, my question is, how would people know you're circumcised or not? Was, Was there not any discretion? It's like, didn't they have clothes, you know? I don't know. So that's just one of the things that I wonder. But that is a sidebar, a, a legitimate sidebar. So let's move, moving right along. The question is, is what are you willing to give up in order to better reach people far from God? What are you willing to give up to reach people far from God? What about your life or what in your life keeps people from Jesus? Is there anything in your life that keeps people from Jesus, and you're holding on to it so tightly because you have a right to it, and by the grace of Jesus, I can do this or whatever it is, but you're not willing to give it up, but it potentially is a stumbling block to some people that don't know Jesus yet or to some people that might struggle with some things that you have freedoms in. Are you more concerned in your freedoms or are you more concerned in people knowing Jesus? And that's exactly what Paul was doing with Timothy Hats off to Timothy. I'll take one for the team. Brings us to verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So they were going about on these, this journey and proclaiming exactly what the Jerusalem council had decided What they had landed on, it was encouraging um, the brothers in the Lord and any Gentile who was maybe hedging their bet because they heard there was some surgery attached to it. Once they learned, maybe that was the tipping point for them. It's like, okay, I'll believe. Don't have to do that. So the church grew in number. And here's the thing. Back then, the message was, you're not saved by works, but by grace through, through faith in Jesus. The message today, if you're here today, there's nothing that you have to do You are saved, not by works, but by grace through faith in Jesus. And it brings us to the last verses, verses 6 through 10. 
And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, that's another term for the Holy Spirit, but it's mentioned here, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately Catch this, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, scholars believe every, every, up until this point, the, the we wasn't there. It's believed that this is the point in the journey that Luke joined them, the writer of Acts. This is the point they believe that this is where he was joined, so he was including himself in, in the we. So, was Paul directing this mission trip? No, God, God was directing this mission trip. He says, well, you know, in Paul's mind, it's like there's all these places and there's all these cities and I must go and visit every one. But the Holy Spirit was saying, no, not there. No, not there. Keep moving on. No, not there. God was in control of this gospel mission. How was the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul? I don't know. The, God's never spoken to me audibly, but here's what I know is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew God's desires. And as a pastor and even growing up in the church, one of the questions in counseling and even just talking to people, one of the number one questions that people ask in, in their life, for their life, is what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? I think, I think these guys knew what God's will was for their life. And I think here's the key. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When you draw near to God, you're going to be able to hear God's voice in your life. Maybe not audibly, but in your, in your knower. That's not even a word, right? In your knower, in your spirit. You're going to know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will direct your paths. Our prayer should should be that we would be so close to God that we will know his desires for our lives as he sees fit, week by week, day by day, moment by moment. Our desire should be to remove anything from our lives that will cause the gospel mission to suffer. If you preach the gospel, but you're not a respectable man or woman and you provide no evidence for others to speak well of you, the gospel mission will suffer. If you preach the gospel but you don't make sacrifices in your life in order to remove any stumbling block so that they can hear what you are saying, the gospel mission will suffer. If you preach the gospel but you aren't willing to help new believers to grow, the gospel mission will suffer. My prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we'd be willing to remove anything in our lives that keeps people from Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm grateful that we could just come into this place today and be encouraged by your word, be encouraged what you did through Paul's life, be encouraged what you did through Barnabas' life, be encouraged through all the players there, Mark and Timothy and Titus, Silas, not Titus.
But God, we're grateful for what you do in our lives, dear Heavenly Father, as well. That's a story, that's a narrative. We praise God for what you did, but Lord, you're still at work. You still want to use us. God, I pray that you would help us to remove the things in our life that hinder people from seeing you in us. God, we don't want to have stumbling blocks that keep people from Jesus. We want to help people to find Jesus. And may that be said of us, dear Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.